With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is building its Do Good Village in Lando Lakes, Florida. It's the first of its kind, a community of 110 homes for the foundation's program recipients. So together, families can heal. So together, families can help one another. A special place where families know that their neighbors understand and care. Make the Do Good Village the first of many. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is going on, Bill Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Here's another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Today, We've got a special thesis that helps us break down all the college football craziness from last weekend, as well as a guest to help us do it. But first, let's dive into some gold stars and detentions. First gold star goes to Claire. For anyone not paying attention to the big sporting event of Thanksgiving, Claire is the big winner. The Deerhound is the first ever back-to-back champ of the national dog show. Claire was named best in show again this year after winning last year in an empty arena, was able to come back this year and win in front of a vaccinated audience. The Deerhounds took a victory lap around the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Pennsylvania on Thanksgiving Day, or I guess I should say it was shown on Thanksgiving Day. I guess technically it was filmed a little bit earlier, but the handler mentioned that she, being Claire, is a year older and more sure of herself and is looking to try and get another 
$20,000 win next season. Part of the Hound group, Claire is looking to three-peat. You heard that right. She is looking to three-peat after being the first ever dog to win back-to-back national dog show best in show crowns. Second gold star is going to go to a guest we had on a couple months back uh, for a thing she wrote recently. Uh, if you haven't checked out what Mirren Fader is doing fairly regularly with The Ringer, we're going to gold star Mirren for her article on Bryce Young. A uh, lot was made about Bryce Young before the season started for being a guy that was making, if you listen to Nick Saban, was making nearly a million dollars on NIL deals having not even played a snap for Alabama. Mirren does a great job digging into the background of Bryce as well as looking at kinds of things that make Young such a standout young person and professional even amongst his amateur colleagues. There is clearly no doubt as to why he is such a professional in an amateur sport. He's handling himself like a professional. He is treating this like a pro job and is frankly getting treated as such. So go make sure you check that out and see how a college quarterback can be a million dollar man even as a freshman third and final gold star is going to go to the michigan wolverines so for those that were paying attention over the weekend michigan and jim harbaugh pulled off their first win in the big game since jim harbaugh has been there worth pointing out that michigan did end up winning by guess just 15 points but they dominated that game from really start to finish and really put their foot on the accelerator in the second half Shout out to Michigan Wolverines for finally winning the big one. They got one more test to win the Big Ten and, frankly, get a lot of monkeys off their back, namely the Jim Harbaugh can't win the big one monkey off of their back. So shout out to Michigan. Good luck in the next week as well. First detention is going to go to John Wall. Yes, I know I'm a Rockets fan and we are detentioning John Wall because reports indicate that of course, as soon as Houston starts winning basketball games on their first two-game win streak of the season, John Wall now reportedly wants to play. And as you're listening to this, he has posted on his Instagram feed a picture of himself working out, looking very much in game shape, with the hashtag free wall. And I guess my detention here comes down to what did he think was going to happen? Clearly, They all set up this precedent where he was not going to play a game this season for the Rockets, assuming that he'd be traded before now, and now it's looking like he's going to get traded after that December 15th mark. For those that aren't paying attention to the NBA too closely, lots of trades happen after December 15th because all contracts signed over the summer are eligible to be traded on December 15th, and so that's kind of the first time everyone in the NBA is open to being traded. But Wall, ahead of that December 15th mark, now apparently wants to be playing because either he's not happy with the trade assets that have been thrown his way via what he's hearing on the inside of the Houston Rockets, he's tired of not playing, whatever the case may be. And I understand that him playing could increase his trade value, but this detention is not necessarily for that. It's because he knew when he agreed to this, this was a possibility. He knew when he agreed to this back in August and September that there was a real possibility that he would not be traded before the December 15th marker or that he might not get traded until the February trade deadline. And to be upset about it in late November when the team is finally starting to play well, they won two in a row without Jalen Green on the floor and frankly had a couple of close games uh, as they wound down that long losing streak before the couple of wins. This is really a team trying to grow and get better and to throw him in the mix all of a sudden in a whole new role that he has not occupied seems 
bluntly, a little selfish. You signed up for this. This is what you wanted. You can't be upset that it's going this way when you knew this was a possibility. Detention to John Wall. Uh, we're going to also detention an author. We you know, gave one author a gold star. We're going to detention author Nick Adams uh, on Twitter for, you could really detention a lot of things Nick Adams is doing on Twitter, but he's using basketball lately as a place to get a lot of his I would just say it. a lot of a lot of his racist takes off. Uh, he has a lot of problems with the activism of uh, of athletes, especially basketball players, and so on. And so he does things like tweet out lists of the top fifteen players of all time, and manages to intentionally throw in seven of the fifteen white as white guys. Put Larry Bird as number one overall, and, and really just I mean bluntly speaking, there aren't arguments for a lot of the guys in his top fifteen. He has a number of different takes across his Twitter that like this and I guess the real shame is me detentioning him maybe giving him the audience he really really wants but everyone just needs to go block Nick Adams let him sit in detention for a little bit and think about why does he feel like Twitter is the place and basketball specifically are the places to do this in I think he's the kind of guy that must have just never gotten picked for a team at recess second to last detention uh, is going to go to Brian Harson and Mike Bobo of the Auburn coaching staff. Uh, Auburn lost in quadruple overtime to Alabama in the Iron Bowl over the weekend. And truthfully, this detention is because they should have just gone for two in the first overtime. You cannot continue to play with Alabama when there is that big of a talent discrepancy and bluntly that big of a coaching discrepancy. The more chances you give them, the less likely you are to win. Go for the juggler. You're at home. Take it, take it to them, go for two. It's what Kansas did on the road against Texas, and they pulled off the upset. I think it's what they should have done in Auburn, too. Detention to Harson and Bobo, at least go come up with a better explanation. I need to hear why you didn't go for two. This last detention really is a little old. However, if you're you know a weekly fan of the show, you realize we didn't post over Thanksgiving week. This detention is to the Crypto.com Arena or Crypto.com Stadium. However, they want to rename Staples Center. Now, here's the real problem. It's not that the Crypt isn't a great name for a stadium, and it's not that there's something about LA and things like crypto or crypts. The real trick here is that stadium will be the Staples Center until an entire generation moves on, right? So however creative or however lucrative you think that that is if you're crypto.com it's not the generation that knows as a staple center will take a long time to age out of calling it the staple center so now you're spending a bunch of money to buy the naming rights to a stadium but in all practical senses no one's going to call it crypto.com stadium or crypto.com arena crypto.com center or the crypt for a long time the generation of people calling it staples are still really young you're talking about kids that grew up watching kobe right these are not like people that watch magic these are people that watch kobe they're not that old they're gonna be calling it staples for a long long time and so while you may have all of the actual signage in the stadium what you've done is pay a bunch of money to really not have the actual name of the stadium just the name on the sign and that's fine but if no one's gonna actually call it that what did you really pay for all right, so this week, like I said, we got a thesis on college football. We're going to dive into some of the craziness from the weekend and look at how things could shape out with the college football playoff, the top four ranking, and namely how the 
seemingly always dominant. SEC fits into that question. We're joined by frequent guests at this point, Ryan Rodriguez, a football expert, football podcaster, and NBA writer with Billy Up Sports. And so without further ado, let's dive in to the thesis. All right, we are joined again by frequent guest, we'll call it football specialist. I don't know how you want to go about it. Yeah, but I, I, Ryan would, I would Rodriguez. say football specialist. <laughs> Ryan Rodriguez, football specialist. How you doing, Ryan? Doing well, Parker. Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're coming to you live, or recording on a Sunday uh, after a crazy college football Saturday, to say the least. I think people are using the pun that it was a bedlam Saturday because of the late game, but we can talk more about what all happened there in a moment. The thesis for this week reads there should only be one sec team in the college football playoff you hear that ryan and what do you grade it i'm gonna give that a c plus parker interesting because i am also i'm gonna pass it at like a c or a c minus i'm sitting i'm not i'm not super sure about it but i'm gonna sit pretty low on my grade All right, Ryan, you said you're going to give it a C plus. Let's break that down for a second. So why do you, so the thesis reads only one SEC team should make it in the college football playoff. You want C plus. Talk us through why. Yeah, well, with with Alabama looking rough, to say the least, yesterday and having some some games this year where I, I think back to the LSU game, another another or that was a home game. Yesterday was an away game where, again, they were playing a, a lower tier team in the sec and just had a lot of trouble with them even as a one loss team they're teetering now as how confident do you feel thinking that georgia's probably going to take care of them this weekend which at that point with the two loss alabama team i really would say even if there is mayhem probably some other schools that have better arguments to get in over them based on just how this year went and everything. So while I, I could see Alabama winning, and that's why I'm not going to grade it, you know, into the DF range, I think there's there's still a C. Alabama could win. If they win, I would assume we're getting two in there. So leaving some possibility for that, but still it just doesn't seem like something that's going to happen. Well, and so I think we do need to set that baseline that if Alabama loses to Georgia, there's almost no argument for a second SEC team. I mean, that'd be the rest of the conference will have two losses. Georgia went through an undefeated it's hard to put a two-loss team in over a one-loss team, especially a one-loss team would probably be conference champions, right? Correct. The way that this thesis kind of gets legs is if Alabama loses in a quadruple overtime event or like keeps it super close and comes into a coin toss, or if Alabama outright beats and upsets Georgia. Um, and so theoretically, it'd be like, do you take Georgia out of it if Alabama wins? Or if Alabama wins the SEC, how do you not put them in ahead of Georgia? And I think that comes down to kind of, you alluded to this a little bit, what do you think about the rest of the conference? Like, do you think of a win in week three against then number 11 Florida as a marquee win for Alabama, right? Like, Florida's riding a preseason ranking pretty high at that point. But since then, Florida's looked unimpressive, right? The big non-conference win for Alabama was Miami. Miami's sitting just over 500, right? Like, this, these aren't crazy, crazy wins on most schedules. The one interesting one is you could almost argue the Alabama, the uh, Alabama win over Ole Miss got better with time. Cause Ole Miss ended up looking and they're 10 and two by the end of the season. Uh, I don't know if people actually had them as high, but like Florida six and six, Miami seven and five, those two early wins weren't the statements. I think we all thought they were early on. Right. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And even, I mean, looking at their their Texas A&M win, which we're recording this after Saturday, so Texas A&M just lost to LSU. Again, not saying that Texas A&M is a bad team. I think it's just showing more that the the middle part of the SEC is a lot more equal as opposed to like having these three or four great teams like maybe they have had in the past. Um, an Arkansas win, again, solid win, but nothing that's going to – you know, you're going to write home about when you're really trying to build a, a super strong resume. It's another one where it's like, okay, other teams have have certain wins like that. We talked before the pod. I'm sure we'll touch on them a little bit, but is Baylor, who has a lot of top 25 wins as well. Not maybe upper echelon, but a lot of that middle part that, that Alabama would be arguing against and having lost again. Um, I do think you bring up an interesting point that if, if they take Georgia to some four overtime game, you know, in this hypothetical sense, like you said, or just, you know, for close game with how dominant Georgia has been and, and the cachet that Alabama built has built up over the years. I know it's just a 2021 thing, but we, we do understand that like over the years does matter in the talent pool that you have running through there, coaching wise, playing wise, and so on and so forth that if Alabama were to keep this game close this coming Saturday, yeah, I think, or at least be a cursory discussion of the, of it, even if, in the end, they don't end up getting there. And that's why I think our grades settled where they did. Well, and so there'd have to be chaos, I think, for a two-loss Alabama team to really have a shot here. Chaos would include, frankly, a close loss that feels like a ran at a time, not a lost the game kind of thing. A lot of that chaos would stem from these other teams, too, not taking up those four spots. So the College Playoff Committee, for folks that don't know, will pick – four teams at their own ranking. It's a, it's people picking. It's not like some computerized system like the BCS used to have. And to date, Alabama has maintained as a one-loss team being in that top four. Michigan, I guess, at the last ranking was five. There, I assume we can all safely say that they'll move into the top four after beating number two Ohio State. And then if they do beat Iowa next week in the Big Ten Championship game, would theoretically stay, right? Cincinnati has been undefeated all year. And if they beat number 19 Houston next weekend in the American Conference Championship, theoretically are they undefeated, they'd also carry on through. The interesting one to be like, Notre Dame is just on the outside looking in. Notre Dame has one loss this season to Cincinnati. Um, at home, though. They lost at home. Lost and at home. I think it was close to, it was either seven or double did. It was like Cincinnati controlled that game. It, I got 11-point game, 24-13, uh, yep. as I'm looking at right now. And worth pointing out that there's only one other, at the time they played, ranked team on the Notre Dame schedule. And Notre Dame is done playing. They can't improve that resume at all. Oklahoma State upset Oklahoma last night. Again, we're recording on Sunday, so Oklahoma, upset Oklahoma on Saturday night. They're heading to the Big 12 tam- championship game. Would get to play a top-10 Baylor, uh, and that would be their... If they were to beat Baylor, that would be their what is that fifth win over a top 25 team at the time they play them this season, including two wins over a top 10 Baylor team. That may be a, frankly, fairly good resume. Not that I think anyone would have picked Oklahoma State three months ago to be a finalist nope, here, but I don't think so. um, but Gundy and the mullet and the grown man he is may have Oklahoma State fighting for this thing at he's the end. He's now 50, too, so he's, he's like extra now grown. 50. It's been that long since that rant. I'm a grown man. I'm 40. I mean, 50. What chaos do you – so, like, you gave it a C-plus, so you could see this happening. Mm-hmm. Are you banking that on any other chaos happening with any of those teams we ju- I just mentioned? I think we'll go to the last one you talked about with Oklahoma State and Baylor. I, I think that game is probably close to – 
a toss-up. I know it was a 10-point win earlier in the year for Oklahoma State. It will, it, I'll say toss-up with the caveat. I know the Baylor quarterback missed their game yesterday, uh, Bohannon. If he's not playing, then I think that decidedly pushes it over towards Oklahoma State, which then, you know, that would – I mean, a one-loss Oklahoma State team with two wins against Baylor, went against Oklahoma. They went on the road and beat Boise State, which isn't – I mean, a, a road win against – Good, good opponents always, always a good win. That you know, being- and and frankly, that's and that's you know, their big non-conference games were Boise State and Tulsa. I mean, when you scheduled mm-hmm. that five or six years ago, you wouldn't know where those teams will yep. be now. Those aren't mm-hmm. bad wins. Boise State, they just played San Diego State this last weekend on the road at nine a.m. Pacific. By the, by the way, on Friday, which is just I I said to my brother, only eight year olds should be playing at nine a.m. in the morning. <laughs> you know, but I digress. They were still three point favorites against a ranked 11 or 10 and one San Diego State team. So, people obviously, whether maybe Boise State has had some close losses this year and so their record's a little bit worse, they, people still clearly think they're a pretty good team. So, I would say that's a good win. So, I would say Oklahoma State is looking to jump. Another chaos. I, I used to be a hardcore Niners fan, especially when Harbaugh was there, and he has a great talent of losing big games well he won this last day <laughs> he won the game the other day big game dominating win by by michigan their offensive line was was phenomenal i'm still waiting for the shoe to drop so this this is just the next game on the docket of jim harbaugh ready to lose an excruciating game to a always you know underwhelming midwest iowa team that nobody's really ever super excited about but they can punch you in the mouth and and Definitely go to Indianapolis and beat Michigan. I, I would also so. point out about Michigan, as much fun as it was to watch them put up a bunch of points in Ohio State, their other ranked games this season against 23 Penn State and 8 Michigan State, they lost to Michigan State and only won by four at uh, at Penn State. I know that's on the road in the Big Ten yep. and that the Big Ten is not a bad conference this year, but they also have like a three-point win against... into the fourth quarter... Like I think you, it's a good point. It's like Michigan is not some world beater. So I no, they put up sixty three on Northern Illinois, and so that looks yep. great, right? They put up thirty eight on Wisconsin. So they had a Fetty Wap game, seventeen thirty eight. They really though, like they beat Penn State by four. I think it's easy to look at the Ohio State win and not think of it as fifteen points because it's forty two to twenty seven. But that's really still a two score game. And then nebraska is the one that's interesting to me because it was at nebraska and that's fair but it was only a three-point win right if if any of those close with the, wins with the caveat nebraska went one in eight i think in big 10 play zero point differential <laughs> if you could imagine that they beat they beat northwestern by 49 points and lost their all their games by 49 total points so Talk about snake bitten of all snake bitten. <laughs> I know, ag- agreed. I, I guess I just look at Michigan's resume and like any of those close games could have gotten flipped, right? Even Rutgers is twenty to thirteen. Like that's just a one score yeah. game. They're not. They're not a dominating team, despite in their biggest marquee game, obviously dominating a team that we that we're all very familiar with playing. You know, in the college football playoff destroying teams this year has a Heisman trophy candidate. So that game while being really good, I think you bring up, bring up a great point Parker that like you get into their resume and it's like, I mean, it's, it's good. You, you know, you, you lost one game in big 10 play, but at the same time, it's not dominating at all. And and then obviously we've talked about Georgia and their dominance. They are the team that if you're looking across the country, they are undefeated. Uh, they're only close game was an uh you know opening season 10-3 win over Clemson 
outside of that, I next closest margin victory I see is 17. I'm not a math teacher though, so maybe someone's checked me on that. But it, it looks like to me, like realistically, you be able to look into history though and be able to discern. <laughs> Pull out some old scores. No, I, I just, the only team that's had any kind of dominance is Georgia. And so assuming they beat Alabama and take the number one overall seed, and assuming that that means that Alabama's out of it, how would you round out the college football playoff? I, I'm I'm going to say Georgia, obviously. And then Cincinnati's going to win against Houston. I'm going to take Michigan. I'm going to do it. I don't know why. <laughs> but, I, but I'm gonna do. It. I'm, I'm gonna. Say, I'm gonna say Harbaugh saves the excruciating loss for uh, N- New Year's Eve for, for, the, for the people in blue. Just a, just a nice, just nice way to end the new year. So Michigan, and then I think Oklahoma State will win and leapfrog Notre Dame. I think we get in in no uncertain order besides Georgia and pro, at Georgia at top uh, at the top. Georgia, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma State. We get some new blood. It'll be interesting, and it might be two blowouts by Georgia. Oh, it might be two blowouts by Georgia. I think what's interesting is if you took the name off of the Oklahoma State resume and put Oklahoma, and if you took the name off of the Michigan resume and put Ohio State, they would read like teams that are in this college football playoff every year, right? Like Oklahoma typically does what Oklahoma State did this year. Yep. They maybe drop one game to someone in conference because, you know, these power five conferences will do that to you. But truthfully, they run through it relatively comfortably. Besides that, they win a close rivalry game or that's Oklahoma playing Texas or Oklahoma state versus Oklahoma or whatever. Right. Michigan kind of did what Ohio state did. They scared you here and there, but really they went through and I mean, assuming that they beat Iowa and don't Harbaugh the game next week, they go through and they win the, the big, I was going to say big 12, the big 10 with 12 teams. And I think that's what's interesting about looking at, all of that is that that name recognition that Oklahoma state and Michigan lack feels like the only reason we're even looking at Alabama this way, right? Circle going back full circle to the start of our conversation. So why is that in college football, Ryan? Why is it that? Cause theoretically you have a fourth of your roster turnover every year. I know it doesn't actually mathematically work out to that, but like theoretically you lose a fourth of your kids every year to graduation eligibility pros, whatever. Why is the Alabama name weighing so heavily in this instance? I, I don't know the exact numbers of how many national championships they've won in the last 10 years, but I, but something like five, I think that's, I think that's why. And to me, honestly, that's fair. You know, like you build up consistency over time. Like they have domination over time. Like they have, if Clemson was here, they'd be, they'd be having the exact same thing. You know, if Clemson, had I think they lost in overtime to NC State. Okay. If they had beaten NC State in overtime, had two losses and were going to play Pitt in a rematch in the ACC championship this week, how they closed the season, they beat Wake Forest by du- double digits two weeks ago. They they would be having the same thing. It'd be like they adju- they had a hiccup at the beginning of the year, but we've seen what they've done over the last five, six years playing in national championships, playing in the playoff, dominating their conference, that I think that warrants a certain level of, I don't necessarily want to say benefit better the doubt because you still do have to win the games. But on the flip side, we've seen Michigan and Oklahoma State 
fall short. Like, and we see when we watch the games, the talent deficient or the talent disparity, I won't say deficiency, but talent disparity kind of between the teams that it does, it does, I think, leave a human brain wondering, Hmm, is this team, did they have a bad day? Can we give them the benefit of the doubt compared to the other ones? Like, man, that close game, that's a, I don't really, I don't really feel as sure about that win. And I think, I think that is a little bit valid, even though we kind of probably want to rise above that line of thinking. <laughs> well, it's just interesting to me. And I think that's probably, if I'm being blunt, in large part because the team I cheer for is all brand, no substance, right? <laughs> and that Texas starts out the year every year in the top 12 or 15, maybe closer to 20. And frankly, they win a couple non-conference games and get your hopes up. And then this year, they're not bowl eligible, right? Like, like at the, theoretically, I see the name brand fall short as often as it can be. I mean, you joked about Alabama. Since playing Texas in the 20, 2009 championship game, they've won it in 09, 11, 12, 15, 17, and 20. And frankly, Texas doesn't have that many winning seasons since, right? Like they're both <laughs> these giant brands. Yeah. And since meeting in the 09 championship game when Colt McCoy gets hurt and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Divergent pass. Yeah, completely. It's been, we can't get that many winning seasons. I mean, just winning over 500 seasons and they've got that many titles. And I think the deal there is to me is that like, for whatever reason, we don't, we, we talk ourselves into Texas being back at the start of every year and we talk ourselves into like, oh, but they've got this great recruiting class and we talk ourselves into, oh, but they got this new coach and all this, it's the Texas brand and this and the that and the whatever. And I see that fall short so often. And I guess that's why I'm hesitant to just jump on this. Well, like, well, Alabama's won it three of the last five years. And so clearly this is the same school and team. It's like, well, also like, you know, what, say whatever you want they had four pro wide receivers two years ago <laughs> like they they had Najee Harris in the backfield they had three their whole quarterback room is now playing on Sundays <laughs> like, like I, I their, just, their new quarterback is the first or second Heisman candidate as well right I, no yeah I'm, I'm not saying that they're like deficient in talent I'm saying they had to reply like they do have to replace yeah. every so often and and I also remember like the year because LSU ran away with the season, we all forget about like that. That year was kind of you know a in the most Alabama way possible a reloading year. They like had two or three losses and they weren't very great and and whatever. Right. I, I guess I just I, I struggle with this idea that when the roster turnover is as it is and football is as finicky as it is because you only get 12 games or 13 games and you only get a small sample size and there are 120 whatever teams and like like i i just have trouble holding on to those brands on the size of the helmet which i think is why like i want to see cincinnati in i, I kind of want to see michigan in uh, i kind of want to see oklahoma state in and not just because Oklahoma State's in the big 12 i i just think it's interesting to see new blood because in the current system, it feels like we don't have that chance very often. Yeah, I, I'm ultimately, and that's why I want to say, that's why I wanted to say at the end, like I think we should rise above just like what history tells us, and we do got to evaluate this. And like the wins and the losses do matter. Like they're not. I, I have this, uh, this debate with some of my friends, and it's like, how much does straight winning and loss loss matter when the schedules are so different and you have to kind of mix and match things that aren't even similar in sometimes any way, but yeah, the win, the wins and losses have to be the number one driving thing. And this year has to be the number one driving thing, which is why personally, 
a two-loss Alabama team, I just don't think you can argue them in. I think you might have a little bit of a discussion about them, but ultimately the the smart thing, and I would say the correct thing, is to move off of them rather quickly for these one-loss teams. Even if you think if we played this season out over five years, it wouldn't be the same. It doesn't really matter about that. It matters about this one year and this one season. And New Blood, I'm 100% with you. <laughs> I'm it, it does suck a little bit that college football is so – I mean, even like Georgia doing this this year doesn't even totally feel like new blood. You know, like they've been to the playoff <laughs> like two years or something and knocking at this door that even this is kind of just like, man, I wish it was like a completely different dominating team Like, or we'll get like an LSU one year. And it's like, oh, man, but we have seen LSU here before. It's not – it's not some random team. It's not Michigan. It's not Oklahoma State being that dominant team to break through. I don't know. I mean, the last time Georgia had more than two losses on the year was 2016. And, and so, like, this isn't like some brand new team. It's just kind of new. Kind, and frankly, we got to take what we can get, right? If they lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game and really screw everyone's brackets of sorts up, then it's going to feel kind of like the Georgia of old anyway, right? Like that would be winning the SEC East rather convincingly, but then losing to an SEC West team would feel fairly, you know, par for the course. All right. Crystal ball happens. I come back and tell you, Ryan, that last weekend of college football was chaos. You thought rivalry week was chaos, but conference championship week was chaos. How, if I come back and tell you that, how do you, how did that shake out in your head? If there's chaos, I would say Iowa beats Michigan. That that would be the number one. Is that Alabama, the Niner fan that knows Harbaugh's heart of hearts? Or what's making you say that? Ju- well, just because I think if you lose Michigan out, that that opens up for a lot more chaos. Because now you're, we're talking about like Notre Dame at 11-1 and one that didn't play this week, just kind of backdooring it in. Baylor beating Oklahoma State. That same thing. I think those two those two games right there, are chaos happening because now what the i mean the only one lost teams you would have would be notre dame so it's like notre dame's gonna back in what well, and if notre I, dame would back in having already played cincinnati who exactly. theoretically i don't know where you're going mm-hmm. chaos but theoretically is also in yes exactly exactly I'm, I'm gonna say that cincinnati's in I, i'm gonna i'm gonna believe that they will close this out and get the opportunity to go. I, I man, Parker, they always talk about manifesting what you want to happen. So I'm going to do that right now. Um, the Georgia Alabama one. I mean, if Alabama beat Georgia, that wouldn't really, to me, start chaos. Cause it's like, they're both one loss teams. They're both getting in. Like, I think that would just kind of be kind of cut and dry there. So I think Iowa winning Baylor winning. And now all of a sudden it's, you would have, let's just say, Georgia wins too. So you have Georgia, you have Cincinnati, you have Notre Dame as the only zero or one loss teams in the the power five. You know, I don't think a San Diego state one loss team is going to jump, jump up to that spot. So theoretically. Yeah. 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 I I just don't, don't think that's possible. Even, even with a win next week. So yeah, we would then have our first two loss team in the playoff. And that debate would be, I mean, Parker, imagine from nine o'clock Eastern Sunday night when Michigan or Saturday night when Michigan loses to Sunday selection show. 
I don't think certain people would with how no because here's the deal is if if you're rounding out this chaos you're like well how we're gonna pick amongst two lost teams that's when that brand thing is gonna come back and it's gonna be Alabama right like that just that's how that's how this happens that I'm just putting this together that's how this happens honestly I think if Alabama and maybe I'm being too idealistic I think if Alabama loses and Baylor wins or I think Baylor's in. You if, think if, Baylor's if the that, first two if that, if the chaos that I said happened, so Baylor wins, Iowa wins, and we'll just say Georgia wins for the sake of this argument as part of the chaos. I think that Baylor as a ten or an as eleven and two Big Twelve champion with wins over Oklahoma State, with win over Oklahoma, I think that they get in. Win up, they beat Iowa State. They beat they beat uh, BYU by double digits. I, I think that they would get in, and probably rightfully so, at that point. Which is wild. I will say it's interesting that, obviously, the, the committee turns over fairly frequently, so it's not the same people. But the very first college football playoff, the conversation, again, living in Texas is the main reason this strikes a chord with me, was you had Baylor and TCU were the fifth and sixth seed. It was Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State, and Alabama were the four. I forget the exact order, but they were the four. And TCU and Baylor in the pre-Big 12 championship game days. So back then, there were just the 10 teams. They just played their schedule and best record won. When there was no game between the two for Baylor and, and TCU, they were five and six on the outside looking in. And like the whole country was like, yeah, but if you put Texas and Oklahoma across the two of the resumes there, and it's the exact same Big 12 champion because of whatever you care about, money or voting res- recruiting voting databases rights. or whatever Ooh. like they you just sort of assumed they're a top four team and because it's tcu and baylor they weren't and now you're really in on baylor could be the first i mean we just are trying to orchestrate chaos but the first two lost team in yeah and and i you, you do bring up a good point because my buddy is a is a baylor alum and he he talks about that that exact that exact year i think it was the first playoff year actually that happened well and and ohio state but I forget Ohio, was also a one loss team or something. Ohio State was a one loss team, but it was after, and I can't remember which one of the the millions of quarterbacks they've had turned through got hurt, <laughs> and Cardell Jones came in, but and destroyed the the difference in uh, on one level there is Ohio State did destroy in the Big Ten championship game. It wasn't just like they went in and they won. They went in there and yeah, kicked yeah, yeah. you know, and I do think it hurts not playing this week, even though I don't quite know how much that argument holds water to me it's like you play your schedule and we're gonna punish you for not playing but then we would punish a team for playing and losing so it's like <laughs> you you know it's like it's it's a really weird it's a really it's like the the extra game only matters if you win but if you play an extra game and lose close theoretically it doesn't really matter anymore it's like how you lost gone so that that argument does get a little murky to me but yeah i think baylor Again, though, we've talked about kind of what their what their resume is. And I think I, I'm a big proponent on look what the college football committee is kind of telling us right now. And what they're telling us is to them, Baylor is the best two loss team in the country based off of whatever their criteria is. Agree with it or not. The committee is telling us this. They've been in the top 10 the last couple of weeks. Okay. They are at, I mean, ahead of Oregon. 
ahead of Michigan or Michigan. Yes. Michigan state still a two loss team ahead of BYU who they beat. Like they they're clearly telling us, I think what Baylor has done is good. So if they beat Oklahoma state, I think the, the committee is telling us what is going to happen. And I don't think, especially after watching Alabama drop when Ohio state had their big win against Michigan state two weeks ago, I think they're telling us we're not too sold on Alabama as we're getting more information. Then they just went to quadruple overtime against Auburn this week, who was on their second string quarterback who could barely even move by the end of the game. Auburn should have went for two, (laughs) by the way, at the end of the first overtime. And (laughs) what's the, the, the kid on Kansas that scored to beat Texas got an Applebee's commercial because the two for 20 and it was the slogan was always go for two. Exactly. <laughs> like, that, I mean, the, the <laughs> Auburn, the Auburn backup quarterback had that built in. If the coach was just <laughs> thinking about it, think, come on, man. Anyways, you're not, you're, you give Alabama more possessions. You're probably going to lose. So uh, yeah, I think that we look at what the committee's telling us They're eh, I'm not as slow as Alabama. They just had another close win. And if they lose to Georgia, I think that they're telling us that we're we're very okay with dropping them down. And Baylor is only building on their resume. So, yeah, I would say that would be that would be a win for just uh, seeing something new in college football. So, so what I'm hearing is we have the possibility to have our first group of five team in the playoff. We have the possibility to have our first two loss team in the playoff. We have a possibility to have like only the second playoff without Alabama. And Georgia's going to run through it. It's all for not. Like, is it is going to be competitive at all? <laughs> like, does it really matter? Man, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, what you said, Georgia's had a 10-3 game against Clemson and then no other game within 17 points. They gave up 6.9 points per game this season. Nice. And, I, gosh, that defense is so good. I've never seen a defensive tackle run like that guy. From Georgia, I don't even know what his name is. Dave, Justin Davis, Jordan Davis, one of those two. The guy is so huge and so fast. Like they, <laughs> they just. I mean, it might, it, it might be the defensive version of Clemson a couple or Clemson of LSU a couple years ago, where it just comes down like it's just the perfect storm of domination on one side of the ball that it doesn't matter who you throw in them. They LSU would have played Ohio State and put up like six touchdowns or like eight touchdowns in the first half. And then they went and played Clemson and just ran through them. And then we go and look at what Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are doing in the NFL and Joe Burrow is doing in the NFL. And it's like, right. oh man, Patrick Queen has started from day one. It's like, oh gosh, these guys, are, these guys are just generational. So it, it could be, it, it might be the same thing. The only thing holding Georgia back, Stenson Bennett. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if we can predict a run through with that guy's your quarterback. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> he's got what is he? I have sixty five percent completion, about two thousand yards. Like he's not bad. <laughs> about two thousand yards in today's game, though, in college football, is not setting the world on fire. You know, no, he's turned he's turned around and handing it off a lot. Um, he can he can run though. He's got a little scoot to him, as our boy Stu Gotts would say. That boy can scoot. <laughs> yeah, I mean. They are just killing it, though. It's it's hard to see Georgia. Like, this this Alabama game this weekend, I know they got some good receivers. I know they got their running backs hurt right now. They have a Heisman Trophy candidate for quarterback. But, man, that Georgia defense. And, honestly, to me, it'd be cool to see that Georgia defense go out to Alabama and hold them, like, seven points. Like, oh, that, I mean, that, that, like yeah. that would just be – and I don't even hate Alabama, but – 
it would just be like to watch a defense take control of a game, especially in this era of football, is something beautiful to watch. Completely. Y'all cover football a lot on your your more regular show, Ryan. So tell people where they can find you at. Go go listen to the show. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. The Coastal Connection. Just a little bit. If you want to test our football knowledge, you don't want to listen to the last week's episode because it was heavy on recording on Sunday, the matchups today. Check us on a couple things. If you watch the Niners and Vikings game, how do the Niners cover Justin Jefferson? Are they even able to slow him down? If not, kind of a key to a Vikings win. Also, will the Rams put Matt Stafford under center to kind of kickstart their play action game and their run game, which has been worse than the past couple of years by sitting only in shotgun? If 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 those things kind of happen and you start seeing them happen, maybe you should go give us a listen to on the Coastal Connection. <laughs> uh, Coastal Connection is a fun podcast. A few, few I guess I want to say former because you're no longer into it, but there are uh, people that have coached some football. Yep. Um, two, two current football coaches and then it has been myself. <laughs> But it's it's good stuff, and it's breaking it down from interesting angles. And like I said, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, every podcast. And then yeah. you've also been writing some lately, Ryan, right? I, I have. I've been writing for, for Belly Up. I took a week off during Thanksgiving for, for NBA. I've been writing for the NBA. So while I, while I talk a lot of football when it comes down to it, I really do enjoy the NBA a lot. Thinking of something to, to write about this week, not quite sure. I've been watching a lot of Warriors uh, just because it match, I'm on the West Coast, so it matches up easily with my with my time zone. But I did watch the Lakers debacle against the Kings the other day, and I might might write about <laughs> Marvin Bagley maybe showing a little something on the defensive end against LeBron, and and maybe that's a way for him to to start playing again <laughs> or or get traded to somebody. I know he, I know his dad wants him traded, so may, maybe I'll write a little <laughs> something on that. So keep up with the latest on covering your favorite NFL wide receiver. Or on what happens to Marvin Bagley. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, I mean, it's it's a wide range of things here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on today, Ryan. Thanks, Parker. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Friends, that was another edition of FN Sports. Do you feel like you learned a little bit more about the college playoff craziness. Do you feel like you're ready for next weekend's conference championship weekend? Or are you more like Notre Dame where you're just going to take that off and hope the best happens? If you missed the hoops talk or want to hear more about what Ryan's talking about with the NBA, feel free to dive into the midweek mid-range. It's a weekly YouTube show. It's uh, We're on 
Twitter and Instagram at Midweek Midrange. It is all hoops all the time. We'll be back this Wednesday night at 9.30 Eastern. Be sure to tune in at 9.30 Eastern on YouTube and Twitter or follow us on our social media handles at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you subscribe to The Midweek Midrange on YouTube. As for me and my personal stuff, you can find a lot of L's on sneakers, the occasional upset tweet about the Texas Longhorns, a lot of sad but recently happy tweets about the Houston Rockets, a number of different things about various pro football teams, and frankly, lots of tweets about merch and things like that at my personal Twitter, at Painsworth512. It's at P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. Again, that's where you can find all the stuff I'm doing both in podcast and in writing. As we're diving back into that following the holidays, a lot more head on. You can find all that stuff at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. This show has a Twitter and Instagram on Instagram. We're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at F N sports too. That's at F I N S B R T S number two, all one word on Twitter. We are building quite a Twitter following. Make sure you get on there and interact with the show. We're constantly retweeting our merch our show, and all the work from our friends, so be sure to find us there. Speaking of merch, yes, you heard us right, we have a merch store. As I'm sitting here recording, I'm wearing my Flunk Shaving shirt in honor of No Shave November. All proceeds will head to the Movember Foundation. Be sure to go over and check them out to see all the great work that they are doing. For December, the charity we're working with will be Feeding America. We have a whole set of Flunk Hunger memorabilia both t-shirts long sleeve shirts couple different designs crew necks hoodies even a coffee mug all kinds of special holiday themed designs to get you ready for the holiday season and to help us support feeding america in an effort to flunk hunger so make sure you go to the merch site on all of our social media handles check that out Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe, download, rate, review, do all the wonderful things to help out the podcast. And remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.